0: Good afternoon, and welcome to MGO Podcast.
1: Welcome to MGO Podcast fifteen point twenty. Uh, law talking instead of basketball talking. I think you guys can all agree that that was the right move. Welcome to the MGO Podcast. We have some very exciting legal talk lined up for you. But first, uh, we have finalized the coaching staff. We've had a couple of personnel, we've had a couple of personnel items run across the transom, and we're gonna deal with that before uh, getting to the rubble bouncing phase of the NCAA's legal fight with everybody. So, first the personnel issues. Should, Jack
2: should first be something else.
1: First! Speaking of first, thank you to Underground Printing for making this all possible. Rishi and Ryan have been our biggest supporters from the beginning. Check out their wide selection of officially licensed Michigan fan gear at their three store locations in Ann Arbor or learn about their custom apparel business at undergroundshirts.com. We'd also like to thank our associate sponsors, Peak Wealth Management, Matt Demers, Realtor and Lender, Ann Arbor Elder Law, Michigan Law Grant, Human Element, Sharon's Heating and Air Conditioning, Venue by 4M where we are recording this, the Sklar Brothers, the Autograph Fandom Rewarded app, where you get points for doing things like listening to this podcast and Champion's Circle. All right. Uh, news bit number one. Jack Tuttle has been approved for his seventh year <laughs> uh, by the NCAA.
2: So, so does so that make our last podcast mute? Mute? Moot? Mute. Moot. 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 Uh, M-O-O-T, not mute. No, M-U-T. because I think you just kind of throw
1: Tuttle in the Denegal pile, where he's a pocket-ish passer who... Looks more like
2: J.J. than Orgy does, and he's just another competitor there. But does it incentivize you to not completely switch over your offense?
1: Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I mean, like, how much
2: do they believe in Jack Tuttle? I have no idea. Well, I think the first thing is, is like, they're still probably going to sniff around the transfer portal at some point. Maybe. I just doubt that there's going to be someone who shakes free after spring practice who's going to be worth pursuing. No, but we didn't
1: think that about Josh Wallace either. I mean, quarterback is different, right? Well, sure. But you can pick up Josh Wallace, who's run every defense known to man over his million snaps in college, and he'll plug in and be just fine. Bringing in a quarterback after
2: spring practice and being like, all right, learn the offense. Like, uh, I don't know about that one. I mean, I don't. Necessarily envy the situation, but you'd have to think it, that's probably on the table at least. I mean, I mean if it's Jaden Daniels,
3: can be like, here, go play. But I mean, there's not a lot of quarterbacks out there that they could get who they can plug into what Michigan's doing, plug into the terminology and everything, like, and and go.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, if there's like a younger developmental guy who shakes free, then maybe. But so you're looking at either probably. Tuttle or Orgy. Uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, I, it's hard to judge Jack Tuttle from what he was doing at Indiana. Hugely deficient offense. Look at Mike Penix at Washington versus at Indiana. And Tuttle is not on Penix's level when it's like, well, especially early Penix, where it's like, I'm super mobile and I can make some of this yeah. work despite you know the fact that the offensive line is basically three cows and a lost child. Well, there's an
2: image. I think the big thing with Tuttle is that, like, Harbaugh sought him out and said, Hey, we need a reliable backup and we're going to try to go win a national championship. Do you want to do that? And <laughs> he was like, Yes. And so he came, like, but Harbaugh's not just going to. Offer that? Are you saying tenuel. we tampered? Huh? Are you saying we tampered with Indiana's roster?
3: I don't know.
1: Maybe. It's, isn't that <laughs> legal? we were going to tamper isn't with that? Indiana's roster? We needed to get Donovan McCulley, not Jack Tuttle. If
3: we Point. Could tamper with him But look, at, we got AJ Barnard. But look at so. AJ. Yeah,
1: look at AJ <laughs> but Barner. We, but
2: we didn't know. Well, they knew.
1: We probably, so we know. you know if you look at his pro football focus stats, like he was a 60 as a run blocker last year. Mm-hmm. Is that because AJ Barner got worlds better at Michigan? Probably not. It's probably probably effect. got better. But, yes, better, yes. Yeah. Uh, there's definitely some improvement there. But it's probably a lot of the fact that he was in a, an offense that could actually make his block blocking pay off. So I think there is some chance that Tuttle, who was a top 100 recruit, went to Utah, you know, didn't win the job there, transferred to not very good place to transfer to, um, and has been hurt on and off during his career. Uh, a couple years healthy, a couple years in the same system. I don't think people should write him off just because he didn't look very good at Indiana. Yeah, I think there's a decent chance that he's a you know at least an average Big Ten quarterback to above average Big Ten quarterback, and with this defense and with the rest of the offense, that can win you a lot of games.
3: Yeah, I mean, is he better than Cade?
1: Ah, uh, but you know did Cade win a Big Ten championship?
3: All right, <laughs> Like, yes, he did. Right, but I'm, I'm asking if he's better, if, if he is a better option than, you know, than, than if, if we still had Cade McNamara, then sure, go ahead. If he's not, then, you know, you're putting a ceiling on this team, and this team could win the Big Ten and go to the National Championship. Yeah, right?
1: I mean, I think there is a ceiling on this team.
3: Okay. Because yeah.
1: J.J. McCarthy is now being talked like he's going to go on the top ten picks in the draft, and I think that's where he should go. Yeah. And, Whoever is Michigan's quarterback next year is not going to be a first-round pick, right? No, I
2: I think the the hope there is that you get generally – probably a step down to an extent, but like good offensive line play. You have multiple weapons – at running back. Yeah. And then you have like a Loveland and maybe you get a breakout year from a Morris or a Morgan at wide receiver, blah, blah, blah. And then you have a really good defense. The guy that kind of comes to mind, and I don't know that there's like direct comparisons to who they are, but sort of like the narrative speaking is like Jack Cohn, who was at Wisconsin and everyone's kind of like, R-r-r-r-r. and then he transfers to Notre Dame and actually has a pretty good year in 21 that was like overlooked and is throwing down the field, hitting guys. And like, they were You know, had had a respectable offense. So if you if he is like in that vein of being able to kind of grow, be in a more friendly offense with better players around him, all of a sudden and but he doesn't have to be like you said, McCarthy, right?
1: Right. Then you don't know. I mean, I don't think we're going back to back, right? We're not going to win back to back (laughs) national championships. (laughs) I am not
3: discounting that possibility. I (laughs) and so I mean, look at that defense.
2: I know, but you know, you, you, I have my coffee. You have your diet coke, and Seth has his jug of Kool Aid. <laughs> <laughs> so,
3: congratulations, David! You made the quote this week.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was actually Flavor Aid that they drank. <laughs> is it? Yeah, not Tang. Well, it, it, the, yeah, they're little
1: packets On, of Flavor-Aid.
3: only the marketing guy Kool Aid cares. <laughs>
2: <laughs> anyway, my point is like, I, I mean, I, I agree. You're right, Seth. I do think I think you make a good point there in that the defense is that good. And that, you know, I, I don't know. I agree. I it, The odds are they're probably not winning the national title. And they're probably not making a run through plural playoff games. But can I mean, you look at the schedule, and to some degree, it's sort of like a playoff. I mean, Oregon looks like they're probably going to be really good. Texas looks like they're probably going to be pretty good. Ohio State is like, you know what, buying up every loose end that they can find and returning everyone. So you have three teams that are Probably in the playoff on the schedule, and that's not even including like a, a USC or USC's um, not going to be good. Well, we USC well, could be anything look good as a win.
3: Uh-huh. The, I Maybe. mean, but your your point is that at the end of the season, Michigan's tournament resume or er, playoff resume is no. That's what it's going to be now. That's exactly oh, yeah, what it's, it's going to be now. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be a tournament okay, resume, but.
1: but yeah, they can get in. But what you're not, we're not talking about like, okay, we, we, Jack Tuttle puts a ceiling on this team. It's not about ceiling from the quarterback position this year for Michigan. It's about floor. Okay. Yeah. Right? Because you've got – But that's the defense, right? Edwards and Mullings and I think the offensive line is going to be good. Whoever – and you have this defense. Whoever is the quarterback, it's going to be a Cade McNamara year where it's like you don't throw picks. You, you don't do superhero stuff. You just function. Okay. You know, you complete sixty percent of your passes for seven and a half yards a pass, and it's fine.
3: I'm on board with this, but with, with as long as Orgy is a running mate, and I want him to be. No, yeah, uh, there's, like there's, I want that to be a big part of the offense.
1: Yeah, there's no way that that's not like a big part of the offense. And I've, honestly, like remember when Oklahoma was using the belldozer in the red, red zone? Oh yeah, like mm-hmm. they should they should do that. He should be like your designated goal to go quarterback. Uh, the other personnel news is sad because it's Keon Sab hitting the portal, a move that <clears throat> I think is fairly short-sighted. Because with Quentin Johnson gone, you have three starting safeties for two spots, and it might be three mm-hmm. if you move a guy to nickel. And even if it's not, Keon Sab's going to get two-thirds of the snaps this year. Like he how- might have gotten two-thirds <laughs> of the snaps last year. I mean, like, <laughs> he, like, yeah. like I don't understand how you can like look at what they gave to you. In the national championship game, yeah, you're, they were like, we trust you to win the national championship as a defensive back playing Mike Penix. And you get Michigan safeties coming back, and you know that they're going to rotate. It just feels like he he knows the system. He was playing very well in it. He sticks there. He plays two-thirds of the snaps, and if he wants to go to the league next year, he's going to have the resume. I mean, do you yeah. think that's like he's getting paid, and he's a guy that took I don't, the bait? I don't know. I mean, they managed to keep – all the rest of the guys and maybe it would be like an nil thing where it's like yes mason graham will match whatever mm-hmm. and once you get to safety number three and your other safeties are rod Moore and macari page maybe you're like i guess we got to let this one go because we got to we don't our powder I, is being used elsewhere
3: i i believe that's what happened
2: i think that well he probably know, thought Moore was leaving
3: well the only I th- thought more yeah. was leaving that's <laughs> yeah, my point yeah. so he's
2: like all right sort of like don mm-hmm. edwards and, and blake Coram the year before now edwards couldn't Leave in the same sense because he wasn't eligible to go to the NFL. But Sab was like, "All right, all right good, okay." Now next year's my year, and then Rod Moore like, "Ah, you know what? And Let's next year run it back." Was
1: still gonna be his
2: year, though. Like, I mean, but maybe Sab is looking at it like, "I have another good year, and I'm going to the league.
1: Yeah, but he could have done that here because he was gonna get two thirds of the snaps. Yeah, yeah. I like, mean, this is an example
3: of a guy who, like the, the current model of the NCAA, I'm gonna go into this in the next segment. The current model of the NCAA makes that. Guy more valuable to a team that right now is looking around. They don't have an answer for safety. Spring practice is going to start, and you're only allowed to poach from Michigan's roster because they're the school that had the coach leave most recently. Well, no one else's players are poachable. Yeah, His market value is broken. never going to be higher than it is right now. Anyway, he could come
1: back, right? I mean, technically. Hypothetically, he could come back. Like, he's, he hasn't committed somewhere else yet. Right. So
3: Typically, when a guy enters the portal at this point. Unless he's not even a, no, a no, colleague. Yeah. No,
1: I, I, <laughs> why did you go back to Indiana? What is? What do you? What's the thought could, process there? Would
2: you trade? Would you make that trade? Yes. In the in the next. McCauley for Sab? Yeah. Because yeah. you need. Because like yeah,
3: I mean, he, like... Sab was coming out really well in my charting at yeah, the end of the year. Yeah, He's a good
2: player. He's going to be good wherever he goes. But I mean, and they still also have Zeke Barry, right? Like you brought they, that up. They
3: do. But one of the things that, ups, that upsets me about Sab leaving is that Michigan put a lot of time into getting him ready to play. The reason why yeah. he was so playable and so good by the Washington game and by the Alabama game to a lesser degree, is because he was getting a lot of snaps over the course of the year, and Zeke Berry was not getting those snaps.
1: Well, you could only rotate so many safeties, and they had four.
3: Right. But they were –
1: I mean you are had you, the guy who like laid out Igbuka in the Ohio State game as one of your backup safeties. You have Sab as another backup safety.
2: How are you gonna hit Zeke Berry snaps? Let alone Colazar who's played over his career as on the too deep ish well, so too. So
3: Rod Moore and Quinton Johnson also lost a lot of snaps. I mean, Rod Moore was coming back from injury, you wanted to get that guy, you know, going again. Yeah. And they were not playing him and they were holding him back from coming back and getting Sab snaps. And Sab <laughs> made mistakes with those snaps, but he made those mistakes then that He was not going to make in the national championship
4: game,
1: yeah. I mean, it's a loss, like, yeah. and he's a, like, of the people who have left the football team in the last like three or four years, the only two that I think really hurt were Andrew Anthony and Sab. Yeah, like everybody else is like, okay, Charbonnet, he's a good player, but yeah, <laughs> yeah we
2: got have Edwards. literally seven running backs,
1: yeah, yeah. And uh,
2: you know, maybe Maureen Walker will be up there at that point, at or point Clemens, for sure. those are the two guys yeah. you kind of like, and you kind of wonder. You know, they tried the Walker experiment, but, you know, what if he was a wide receiver and played some marginal snaps last year and then walked in this year and you're like, this guy.
3: I mean, part of the thing, too, is that you got to remember most of the guys that recruited all these players are gone. Well, that's... Like, when Jalen Smith hit the portal, he, like, thanked all the coaches that, like, were there for him. aren't here anymore. And not a single one of them is still with Michigan. Uh, Well,
1: (laughs) that's a conversation about the state of college football, which you have coming up in the next segment. The last thing we want to cover here is that Michigan has finalized its coaching staff. Um, it's an Alex drain ass coaching staff. <laughs> like, it is, like, none of these guys uh, can drive the cars. In
3: fairness, Jack
1: Tuttle is closer to Alex Drain in age <laughs> than all these coaches are. Well, barely.
2: <laughs> but, so... So what has been
1: solidified? What has been solidified? We know basically everything except what's the deal with Mike Hart. So... We know that the offensive side of the ball is close to intact. You got Bellamy back. We'll see about Hart. You're moving Newsom from uh, tight ends ends to to OL. You bring in Casula as the tight tight ends coach. You promote J.B. Brown to special teams coach. Oh, that's fine. Bellamy stays at wide receiver. and wide receiver. And Kirk Campbell is still the quarterback's coach, and now he's the OC. On defense, you bring in Greg Scruggs from Wisconsin – Young up-and-comer, a guy who, when he left, a defensive lineman committed to Wisconsin, was like, oh, no. (laughs) So that's a pretty good sign. You know, A guy who Sharon Moore knew from their days at Louisville together. um, And who
3: recruited the hell out of Trey Pierce and fought us tooth and nail for
1: Trey Pierce. Right, and Trey Pierce is a guy who's underrated and I think is going to be a good player here. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a real good pickup uh, at linebackers.
3: Brian Jean Marie. Oh, right. Yeah, they brought yeah. in. They so brought he was Tom here Marie. at some point. Right? He
1: was here at some point, and then he left for Tennessee, and Michigan got him back from Tennessee.
3: Yeah. I mean, the, the way that all went down, Tennessee paid his buyout, which was enormous for an assistant coach. And when, you know, Coach BJ came back to, to Harbaugh and was like, hey, you want to match this because I'd rather stay here? Harbaugh was like, that is a lot of money. I'm going to go get Matt
2: Weiss. So
3: that was, that's how that whole well, thing went. So, so he
2: was here what year? No, he was here twenty,
3: he so would, like the yeah. fake season. Uh, I think he was here nineteen and twenty.
2: He's here
1: nineteen as well. So I went to the Tennessee message boards, and there's a bunch of people who are like,
3: <laughs> "What were they like?" <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay, but as he,
3: opposed to normally when they're like, <laughs> <laughs> "I see," yeah. All right.
1: yeah. and uh, but one of the mods there was like, you know, he he inherited like six guys and. The linebackers were so bad, and you can see that he's done a lot of work with a couple of young upcomers, and they've really solidified that
2: room. So it feels like the people in the know at Tennessee thought that he was doing a really good job. Didn't Michigan recruit a guy out of Tennessee, almost get him, and then he left and went to Tennessee? I don't remember. Wasn't there a linebacker that went anyway? Okay, maybe it doesn't matter. But so. What well, does a guy with familiarity with
1: Michigan who was heavily wanted by uh, an SEC school, went there, seemed to do a good job, come back? Uh, he's also older than me, which I appreciate a great deal. Good job. Yeah,
2: there's one, well, there's two. Well, and and it's another Harbaugh coach that he wanted. Yeah, and so getting him back is—I mean, Harbaugh's generally had an eye for that stuff.
1: Yeah, and in the secondary, uh, a little bit of a uh, false start with uh, the Texans' secondary coach, uh, Steve uh, Stephen Adigoke. Stephen Adigoke, who Michigan thought they had locked down. Seemed like a really good idea. A Twenty-eight year old guy, real up and comer, who's shot up from a grad assistant to an NFL position coach in a short period of time. But the Texans were able to fend off Michigan, probably because anybody with an NFL yeah with right Mike
3: Ryan's was like, I'm going to make you my next the next guy after the defensive co- You're, he's going to be defensive coordinator in the NFL in a couple of years, and that was the deal that kept him
1: out of. People- so even though that did not come off i think that speaks well to sharon moore's ability to target heavily in demand coaches so and do we not have a safeties coach no they hired the defensive coordinator from louisiana so okay. uh lamar morgan i believe is his name
3: yeah <clears throat> who worked with minter at, he was minter's guy at vanderbilt
1: hmm. so this is a guy who minter recommended coming in as a position coach another young up-and-comer guy and he's coming from a dc spot to be a position coach
2: at michigan that's interesting
1: well, it's not that uncommon these days. No, no,
2: it does seem to be happening a lot more than I ever remember that happening. Yeah, it it feels like well, you get get paid more as a now like coach. teams collectively across the board are tending to pay their down staffers more. Yeah,
1: yeah. so that combined with what finally looks like action on the nil front. Um, <laughs> I I got word that you know they had a real plan that they uh, a guy put together. And they had been sitting on it since April without doing anything. And now it feels like, okay, we're going. And mm-hmm. I think, I think, given the timing of all this, what changed? Sharon Moore became head coach. And he's like, this is a priority. We need to get after this. Yeah. And Jim Harbaugh wasn't that guy, right? Like, he was not big into NIL. Mm-hmm. He's 60 years old. He never really seemed to um, be proactive about. Paying guys, he was more proactive
2: on oh. the
3: systemic system on the systemic he level, was more, not in the Michigan
1: he level.
2: He was more like revenue sharing.
1: Yeah, but yeah. you know, it, it seems which like, might be a better idea in the long run. But it seems like the not a coincidence that this stuff gets moving as soon as Sharon Moore gets hired. Yeah, and I think that's important because Jim Harbaugh is a, the rare person who can navigate all this stuff and overcome a recruiting deficit by developing guys and Sharon Moore has a lot of assets, but we don't know that he's Jim Harbaugh yet. So I think getting modern with NIL will help and I, I think that all told, you know, losing Clink is unfortunate, losing Elston is unfortunate. But given the current state of everything, you know, it's like, well, you gotta you gotta go to the NFL so that you can have a life. Yeah. So at some point. <laughs> given those that context that you lost those guys, that's fine. I don't think that there was a whole lot you could do to not do that. The hiring process, the guys they hired, the guys they tried to hire but couldn't hire, all of that, I think, is very encouraging. Yeah. So, Because nearly <laughs> picking off a 28-year-old defensive backs coach in the NFL who's just an arrow straight up is like, I really wish we got that guy. But one of the things that Harbaugh was very good at was hiring coaches. Mm-hmm. And it feels like Sharon Moore has picked up that trait.
3: So what we're not doing is what a lot of schools that we've passed are still doing, which is hiring retreads, hiring bigger names who cost more, who are on their way down.
1: With one exception. Yeah. Which is Wink Wink Martindale.
3: Martindale. But Wink Martindale is a continuation of the Ravens defense that we've been using. He was Jesse Minners and Mike McDonald's mentor. He was the guy who invented that defense. There's a lot of good reasons to get that guy. It's like... Okay, Ohio State got Chip Kelly on the way. No, down. I'm not.
1: I'm not. I'm he's not still saying, a good hire. I'm, I'm not saying that Wink Martindale is like a bad idea. Yeah. But what they didn't do is they didn't like fill the roster the of position coaches with like
2: 45 year old NFL guys who hadn't been in college.
1: In there are
3: no years. Bob Shoops on this defense, right? Yeah.
2: Do Do you think that Martindale is sort of a stopgap, like a short term solution? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, because like he's gonna produce a good defense and then jump he's, back. He's gonna ride.
3: Kenneth Grant and Mason Graham and Will Johnson back, back to the, the NFL. NFL
2: yeah
3: because he went and worked for the Giants, and that was a bad decision and you know he's his shine the shine came off he's still a top 10 defensive coordinator in the NFL and Michigan, look at this whole situation Michigan is still competing with the NFL for coaches and we're going to lose coaches at a faster rate than other colleges because we're getting guys who if you succeed at Michigan you go to the NFL if you we're we're competing with them to get them in the first place, so Michigan is operating an assistant level higher than people, especially Michigan fans, really realize.
1: Remember when Ryan Day made Kerry Coombs as defensive coordinator?
3: <laughs> That's not happening here. No, it's okay, not happening. happening here. All right. Yeah.
2: Thanks for the clarification.
0: And
3: and also consider Michigan. I mean, they won the national championship. Their coach left in the NCAA right now. That means that anyone can transfer. Anyone can be. Uh, tampered with anyone can be offered money on your roster and they are as soon as the alabama timer runs out the only school that anyone can go and tamper with right now that has any players and that's why their backups are getting picked off but the fact that they've kept yeah. this roster together yeah in the middle of this i mean is look incredible. at what happened to bama yeah
1: like bama bama got raided and michigan has lost key on sab and nobody else who's uh guy who were, we were counting on to contribute next year, which I think is also a credit to Sharon Moore. But that was part of what the players said. Yeah, and I, I think you know Michigan has to get their NIL together, and I think they are, thanks in part to Champion Circle and thanks in part to some donors. And I feel like they've solidified now. They have a coaching staff. They want to get to the end of this portal period and get into spring practice, see what they have with Tuttle, see what you have with Orji, and move forward. So insofar... As it is possible to judge this at this juncture, yeah, I think that this transition period has been a success. And you just have to look at the portal to know that.
3: I think it's the most successful transition period in any sport in Michigan since Bo to Molar. Yikes.
1: All right. We're going to take a break,
3: come back, and do some law talking. Want the perfect game day outfit? Underground Printing has unique, great-fitting U of M apparel and officially licensed apparel from legendary Michigan names like Woodson, Howard, Ufer, and more. UGP also specializes in custom printed apparel and promotional items for groups, events, and businesses. Whether you need one shirt as a gift or 1,000 shirts for a charity walk, Underground can customize almost anything for groups large or small. To learn more, visit Underground Printing in one of our three convenient locations around Ann Arbor or online at
1: undergroundshirts.com. It's painless. It's online. It's group ordering made easy for your next custom-printed apparel order. Pogo from Underground Printing will save you time and hassle. Whether you're selling shirts for a fundraiser, organizing a large event, or trying to collect sizes and payment for a family reunion, UGP is here to help. Save time and hassle every step of the way with our easy-to-use site. No more guessing what to order, chasing down people to pay, or wasting time trying to sort out the order. We'll set it up, and you can just sit back and relax. We can even take care of individual shipping. To learn more about Pogo, visit us at any of our convenient locations or at pogo.undergroundshirts.com.
5: Hey it's Nick Hopwood, founder and president of Peak Wealth Management, your MGO financial coach, and it is our goal to help you retire with peak confidence. Check us out at peakwm.com/slash mgo blog. Bo says the team, the team, the team. Lately, my mantra has been the plan, the plan, the plan. Check out the Trust the Plan podcast. Search out my name, Nick Hopwood, on any platform, and give us a follow. You know, we haven't updated this ad in over two years because since the last versions went live, we only had one Big Ten loss, and honestly, I'm a little superstitious, but for this ad, I just want to give a shout out to all the loyal Wolverines and MGO blog fans who've reached out to us from as far as France, Japan, Seattle, San Francisco, Dallas, Florida, New York, and of course, all over the great state of Michigan. And you guessed it, we're pulling recruits out of Ohio as well, just like Harbaugh. Thank you very much. So no matter where life has taken you after your time in Ann Arbor, we're here to help you build a plan you can trust. If you're looking for a second opinion, visit us at peakwm.com slash today.
0: Hi, I'm Pete Cavarilla, owner of Sharon's Heating and Air Conditioning. Now that the temperatures are dropping in Michigan, you can count on our vast network of service technicians to keep your heating system up and running. We offer 24 seven emergency service and have advanced scouting on all makes and models. So if you find yourself without heat or hot water or want a free estimate on a new system, Call or text us at 734-238-3698 or book an appointment at Sharon'sHeating.com.
1: I'm currently looking out at the Ann Arbor Bike Summit, which is assembled in the venue main area. You can come, and you can have your event here. It's a nice, chill space. It'll be excellent. The food will be excellent. The drinks will be excellent. And sometimes there's smooth jazz. We welcome in Brian McKenzie, certified law-talking guy and punt-counterpunt-punt-specialist. Uh, to talk about the myriad legal issues facing the NCAA, we probably could have done this any point in the last 10 years, but we're doing it now because there's been a couple of interesting developments. Development number one, Tennessee, the university and state have decided to lift the middle finger and fly the Jolly Roger in response to Tennessee getting dinged for NIL whatever. <clears throat> Uh, an unusual thing where the uh, attorney general of the state of Tennessee is laying into the NCAA for political capital. I wonder why it's taken this long. It seems like somebody before this would have been like, oh, yeah, this is an easy way to get cheap heat. But it's, it's arrived. And the state of Tennessee is suing the NCAA, asserting that NIL restrictions of any variety are antitrust and cannot be legal. Is that about the shape of it, Brian?
6: It might be a little narrower than that. I think what they're really saying is what they're getting nailed for in this uh, Niko Yamaleva. I think I got that right. In the, the Niko Yamaleva recruitment was that they were allowed to talk to him about uh, NIL. They were allowed to have collectives in to talk to him when they were recruiting him. But they weren't allowed to use that as an incentive or as a uh, as a – I forget what the what the term is, but it wasn't allowed to be an, an inducement yeah. to have him attend Tennessee, which is the dumbest distinction I can possibly I, think of.
1: Yeah, so we we're going to bring in the NIL, and they're going to tell you, all right, we got this amount of money for you, but. Don't let that affect your decision (laughs) whether or not you're coming to Tennessee. Well, like, how does that work?
3: This rule is the rule that was written when the NCAA, like, at midnight decided, oh, no, we have to let NIL happen. Let's come up with a rule.
1: I mean, it wasn't really a rule. It was like, okay, the courts are going to like do this anyway, so we're going to preempt this. Right. And our rule is there is no rule. Follow your state law. Except they said you got a lot for of this, as an inducement because they got Florida State for something similar where like there was an assistant coach who was saying, "Yeah, if you come here, you'll get X amount of dollars," and that right. was like, "Wow, is that any different?"
6: <laughs> yeah.
1: So the NC NCAA- saying
6: there will be money there that might be had yeah. hypothetically if you were to be here. This would this is what that number would be. It's again, it is an extremely stupid distinction. We're just they, explaining NCAA- the opportunities. So, yeah, we're just <laughs> exactly. So, what, so what, the, what uh, Tennessee and the state of Virginia were saying is these rules violate antitrust law. So, we, we have to go back a little bit. So, the Alston decision came down in 2021 and basically said, yes, you are subject to antitrust law in general. Just as a general matter, you don't have this magic talisman where just the NCAA is not able to is not subject to these laws, you could do whatever you want because you have this theory about amateurism. And then a couple months after that, California passes their NIL law. And like you said, the NCAA just said, I, we don't know what to do here. Go do whatever your states are doing. But we're going to provide some guidelines about what you don't think is you're allowed to, to do. Um, but the state of Tennessee's point is, all right, well, you said that you needed these NIL restrictions because that was the only way to maintain this distinction you're trying to keep with college athletics. And then you came out right away and said, "All right, never mind, well, you can go ahead and do that. But we have to keep other NIL restrictions." And what and what Tennessee's point is is you can't make that distinction because if you if you're saying that NIL is permissible and still allowed you can still maintain your model with that, any restrictions you put in place for that are are anti-competitive restrictions that you can't do. So that's that's the point they're making. And to your point about why no one has done this before, it's amazing how easy this turns out to have been. Because they walk into court on the first day to get a to try and get a TRO, and they don't get it because of the irreparable harm concept that we've learned so much about uh, <laughs> in Michigan's in Michigan's dealings with TROS. <laughs> but they the judge flat out came out and said, "Yeah, on the merits, you're you're gonna you know NCAA, you're gonna lose this one. Like this is you are not going to win this case. Your restrictions are you know if they, if he had to decide based on what's in front of him." You know, NCAA loses. Uh, They had another hearing this week. They have not issued a preliminary injunction yet, but it seems like that's probably coming next week. And then, you know, but I think I think the extent of that will be the NCAA will not be allowed to enforce their NIL rules with regard to uh, using them as incentives or as inducements. But I think that's the extent of it. But it it seems like it's almost a foregone conclusion that that's what's going to happen at this point.
1: I mean, has the NSA really won a lawsuit?
3: <laughs>
1: Honestly, like when's, ever? when's oh, the last time they won a lawsuit? I
6: mean, I'm sure they played, like, a SCF school or something. 1984. In 1984, they, they lost a lawsuit, a big lawsuit. But there was a little snippet of language in that lawsuit that they took to mean, you know, because the, the Supreme Court basically said... Was this the this
1: Oklahoma the, the, one?
6: This is the Oklahoma case. Yeah. Basically, the Supreme Court said, everything you're doing is bad, <laughs> but we understand and respect the difference between amateur athletics and professional athletics. And so the NCAA took that little snippet of dicta in the, in the, the decision and took that to mean we now can do whatever we want to maintain amateurism because that's what the Supreme court said is, is good and right. And they got away with it for quite a while. And you know, they got away with it because the Austin decision itself is, is a, it's one of the biggest own goals you're ever going to see is that they they did okay in the Austin decision at the at the trial court level. All they got stuck with was you have to allow additional education related expenses. Just that one little bit, a couple thousand dollars of education related stuff. That's a that's a tap in. Like that's that is an easy. All right, we're being more realistic in the in the world and and you know, we understand the way things are. And so athletes are going to get a little more money. Yes, yeah, so, but but that's that's what the decision that led to the the Supreme Court saying not only are you subject to antitrust law. This definition of, of amateurs in you had hasn't even been consistent. You you don't have an effective theory of what you're trying to to prove here. So that's what really put them in a bind with this with these antitrust laws, and it opened the floodgates. I mean, this Tennessee thing is just the tip of the iceberg, and this is this is the easy stuff. Uh, there was another case with seven states that that sued the NCAA for uh, the two time transfer rule, and that got. NCAA didn't even fight that one. That one's that one's you know those restrictions were, were mm. nixed right away. But there are you know the uh, the Jim Harbaugh chasing the ten year old in laser tag story. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Jeff Jeff Kessler right now is chasing the NCAA and he that's mm. that's what he that's the role he is playing. He is the lawyer that was the lead on the Alston case, and he is just lining up case after case after case where the NCAA is going to face just unimaginable levels of damages if he wins this thing. He's got the the House case in California, which is all NIL-based. And again, it's the same argument Tennessee made, where if you're saying that NIL is permissible, all the restrictions you had in place prior to that were unnecessary from an antitrust standpoint, and were therefore antitrust violations. And if you calculate everything they could have had for broadcast rights, everything they could have had for regular NIL deals – all of these different categories, you add that up, their initial number was $1.4 billion. Um, and with antitrust law, that gets tripled. So you're looking at the number they've got posted is, is $4 million, and he says that the number is going to go up from there. Because um, every
3: Denard Robinson and Charles Woodson who didn't get paid should have been.
1: All right, so I don't think the NCAA has $4 billion Is laying. <laughs> they seem to make that, though, every March. I mean, so let's say – That Kessler wins this lawsuit and there's huge damages that the NCAA has to dole out. I mean, what happens at that point? Like, because – I mean, this is an organization that is comprised of the member schools. Does Michigan get hit with a huge bill here? Does Ohio State get hit with a huge bill here? How do you calculate this? Like, it's, it's it's a giant number and does that just bankrupt the NCAA as a concept? I mean, it's already I, bankrupt as a concept, but as an entity, <laughs>
6: <laughs> Moral, morally, it's it'll be exactly where it is today. But financially, I don't know the arrangement between either the conferences and the and the NCAA or the individual schools in the NCAA as far as how risk and liability work with that. I mean, if it's me, my, the, if I had to guess. If they get a four billion dollar judgment, they're just you know, the NCAA is going to declare bankruptcy. They're just a, they're an organization. They have way, way, way more liabilities than assets. At that point, the NCAA just declares bankruptcy. Um, I don't know what that looks like and what that means, but I think you've seen some schools and some conferences starting to position as if they see this coming down the road. <laughs> the uh, uh, the Big Ten, the SECs. You know Alliance 2.0 that they're trying to that they're trying to put in place here. You you see schools because for the longest time the NCAA has been the shield for all of these schools and all these conferences. There comes a point when the liability that they've taken on is so much that it's easier just to to cut bait and ditch the NCAA and figure out what the next plan is.
1: All right. So the other major development we will handle on the other side of this ad break. <laughs>
5: hey, it's Nick Hopwood, certified financial planner, founder and president at Peak Wealth Management. Check us out at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. When you're watching the game, everyone knows what the score is. But you might be at halftime of your career. Do you know what the score is? Are you winning? Or do you need to play catch-up? If you're behind in the second half of your career financially, we may need to run a hurry-up offense like John Navarre in the 2003 game at Minnesota, or run a three-quarter court press after a made free throw like Coach Howard likes to call My team of CFPs at Peak Wealth Management are here to help you understand what the score is and what you need to do to win. Your spreadsheet doesn't tell you the score like we can. If you're going to spend all your free time watching replays of the 2021-2022 Ohio State Games on repeat, you need to outsource your financial planning and investing with us at peakwm.com slash At Peak, our goal is to help you retire with Peak Confidence.
7: I can't believe I'm doing this.
3: If you find yourself in the penalty box, you want a Michigan man arguing your case, call criminal law attorney and former prosecutor Jonathan Paul tonight. It's 248-924-9458. Or visit his old website at michiganlawgrad.com. Maze and
2: Blue Nation, it's Tom Brady. I co-founded Autograph with one mission in mind, change the fan experience for the better. That's why I'm excited to announce the release of a new app that recognizes the biggest Michigan fans. The Autograph fandom app gives you access to the best Michigan content, fan challenges, and exclusive rewards for diehard Wolverines. All for doing the things you already do, like listening to this podcast. Head over to the Apple App Store and search for Autograph Rewarding Fans and download today.
4: Hey, fellow Michigan fans, this is Matt Demarest, realtor and lender. For a decade now, you've heard me on the podcast talk about mortgages, and I've helped hundreds of fellow Michigan fans in that capacity, including Brian and Seth. But many of you don't know I'm a real estate broker as well. I promise to make buying, selling, or financing a home simple and cost-effective anywhere in the state of Michigan. Whether you're upsizing, downsizing, buying a vacation home, or building a real estate investment portfolio, send me a text or give me a call. It's never too early to make a plan, and the call is always free. My number is 734-882-8190. Again, 734-882-8194. Or you can find me online at RealtorAndLender.com. That's RealtorAndLender.com. Whether you want to buy, sell, or finance a home, or even all three, I promise to provide the experience so many of you have come to expect over the years. And as always, thank you and go blue. NMLS 1011726, Equal Housing Lender.
7: There was a resolution pending on the United Nations floor. Our only members to the question, what's the peacekeeping keep for? Who believed it would be solved in a day? But no one walked out of that building on the 8th of May. And that time soon it won't outweigh. I got a message from my sister. She just had a kid. I had a ticket to Copenhagen to as she did Maya could start a Canadian Call me a skid Throw the charge For Roman International's well here. Someone is listening On my phone Will I show up On the grid Me I'm just a loner the a world full of kids, kids. Egos and ears A year before And we were getting, it. getting Bottled in caught On television Congress crying By the views in the park I told the bartender We were all from New York Sometimes a path Oh, Seth, Randy,
1: Jason, David, I need takes hotter than Jason Kelsey in the first half of the Super Bowl when he was yelling at Andy Reid and people are like tweeting memes at me that it's like this segment.
2: That's Travis.
1: Whatever, Travis Kelsey. (laughs) (laughs) They're both guys who do football. How am I supposed to rep
3: Remember this, w- Dave. One of them is dating Taylor Swift. One of them's not. What?
7: Seth, give me your honest take.
3: Sell name sponsorships for NIL. What? So, like, if a donor wants to step up and cover, like, whatever costs to uh, be, like, the J. Ira and Nikki Harris family defensive tackles room, like. You that's like that, you do that for, like,
1: that's like an annual <laughs> fee now.
3: Larry Page, yeah. Like, you want to call a five star transfer quarterback brought to you by Google? We could do that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Naming yeah. rights. Yes.
3: Get get Carl Graham and Tyne to announce at the stadium incomplete pass to Amika Buca, defended by Ann Arbor Elderlaws,
1: Will Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Quentin, <laughs> Quentin Johnson, thank you.
2: No thank you. Well Johnson. next next year
1: it'll be next, Will. Year, next year yeah. but we gotta shout out our, our dude.
3: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean that
1: That's not a bad idea. Yeah. Uh, namespace pollution. I I don't like it, but But if we're going get...
3: to have namespace pollution, might as well do it for a
2: cause that everyone agrees with. Like yeah. winning football games. Agreed. Like we'll have
1: yeah, to and l- retaining l- we'll get players like Gus Johnson to be like <laughs> No.
2: <laughs> Blake the
1: underground printing great. <laughs> <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> <laughs> That's good.
2: Dave, give me your hottest take. Michigan the way that Ohio State crosses out all the M's. Michigan should cross off Saturdays on their calendars. <laughs> <laughs> well, just play Friday games and then move on to the next team. It's over. That's a, it's over. A hockey take. It's my hockey yeah. take.
1: Well, it's also a basketball take.
2: No, basketball take would well, be yeah. Michigan should cross off all days on the calendar. <laughs> Except for the Ohio State game. <laughs>
0: Jason, give me your hottest take. Michigan should get Caitlin Clark in the transfer portal. <laughs> for what sport? <laughs> uh, for, ah, that's great. Uh, she's a better player than everyone on our roster. She has more heart than anyone on our roster. She, we need a shooter. Um, we could probably pay her more in nil than she might make in the WNBA. I think. Uh, <laughs> well, that's probably true. That's why she's still at Iowa. Can, can she play defense? Because, right. I mean. The- well, can she play? Will it be worse than what we've got right now? Get on board and uh, <laughs> <Caitlin Clark. laughs> Get Caitlin Clark right now. That's what I say. Let's go. All right. All right. Randy, give me your hottest take. Oh, my God. I don't even know. Next year's quarterback coach, Charles Woodson. <laughs> wait, wait, why? Why? you say quarterback? Uh, Corner. Corner. Okay, yeah. Uh, We have a spot. Like, let's let this guy, Lamar, uh, what's his name, Morgan, Morgan. coach the safeties. Let's have him coach the safeties and let's do – let's just bring Charles Woodson back. I'm like, I'm now up for, like, let's give Tom Brady an analyst role. Let's give Charles Woodson – let's get every important person who's ever done anything, like, to be back here. So it's like, you guys want to be around greatness here you go.
1: So the only problem with that is that Charles Woodson has like the cushiest job in America
2: today, right? <laughs> where he just sits at a desk. And yeah, yeah. He and can he, still do that. And and okay, both. Every I month. like it. Brady's gonna do, you, do the same thing. Like the amount that Fox is gonna pay him is, next year is, is disgusting. Yeah.
3: I mean, Woodson has a whiskey and a wine. And those could be name sponsorships too. There you go. So he can be sponsoring the his own players.
0: And- <laughs> the, the Charles Woodson whiskey and wine secondary. <laughs> this is great. Oh, God. Uh, all right. That's as positive as I can be. I'm <laughs> sorry.
3: The, the intercept secondary. Oh, my God. It works. Mm-hmm.
1: All right. Here's mine. Hire TJ Olzelberger. Hey, no. Cyclones look good. Yeah. Not, not Fred Hoiberg? No, because, like, what's, what happens when, like... When Michigan hired Beeline, I hopped on Ken Palm, and I was like, okay, what's this guy all about? And you saw that every year his teams were, like, top 10 in turnover rate. Uh-huh. And, like, that's like, okay, this is replicable. This is this is just part of who this guy is. Mm-hmm. And yeah. TJ Olselberger comes to uh, Iowa State, and instantly they're, like, top five in defense every year. Okay. I have a problem with this. How many transfers does Iowa State get? No, he's, he's, it's mostly homegrown. The problem with TJ Oldsellberger is that he's like an Iowa State lifer. Oh, okay. And yeah. It's also, like,
2: like Lipsy's from Ames.
1: What? Their point guard. Well, in any case, like, if the, the problem w- won't be like if he's a good coach, he's obviously an excellent coach. The problem is like if Michigan can throw enough money at him. That Iowa State will be he can like. Can leave is,
2: Ames, Iowa. Is he? Is he the? Re-
1: I, is he the return I know. of the?
3: Like people who people are from Ames. Like just talk about getting out of Ames.
0: Oh, I, I, I know. This,
1: this guy, this <laughs> hater. This guy is like a lifer there. So like I,
0: but like. I mean, I, this is what I'll say. His connection to Beeline is even more because the name Otselberger to me is bizarrely like Pitz- <laughs> It's The Pitsnoggle of names. So if we need to get ourselves our own version of a Pitsnoggle, So Oldsburger will do.
2: Wasn't wasn't that Mo Wagner our version of pitznoggle? No. <laughs> Mo. Well,
0: no, he doesn't have a silly need, name. We need a noggle. We need we it, need a pitznoggle I mean what's
1: noggle doing that we can't get him on staff? That guy no no. Was, like he was no. he was clearly like <laughs> an insane human being yeah I was just like, I think he's like my point stands like if you put him in breaking bad it'd be like oh yeah that makes sense <laughs> okay yeah
2: <laughs> he's, he's too tall to be on camera though that's true but you know he's
0: he's mixing up the blue mess all right i yeah. get it but still Oselberger is the is pit Noggle 2.0 let's yeah, absolutely
1: it. uh if you can't get enough scars they are touring they're coming to mark ridley's comedy castle what are the dates again randy
0: Uh, February 29th, March 1st, and March 2nd. It's coming up. We'd love to see you guys there. Come on
1: out. I I will definitely be there one of the first two nights, I believe.
0: I'm there Saturday night. And uh, check out
1: the Nosebleeds, which is a reboot of Cheap Seats on UFC Fight Pass. So the other major development was, uh, I believe it was Dartmouth. Which sport for Dartmouth?
6: It was the Dartmouth men's basketball team. (laughs) Um, They have a basketball team? Do we? They do.
1: So they went to the National Labor Relations Board and the local or regional national – well, the regional Labor Relations Board said that they were employees. Now, this is something that changes based on the administration. So the NLRB gets appointed by whoever is in charge and when Republicans are in charge, they – Say you're not employees, and Democrats are much more likely to be like, you are employees. Now, it's kind of funny that Dartmouth men's basketball, which does not turn a profit.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm just going <laughs> to guess. Are you sure? Have you seen <laughs> the books, Brian? Is
1: like Dartmouth men's basketball is actually a, a morally functional thing because it's like <laughs> they don't get money. And they shouldn't get money. <laughs> <laughs> they're, 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 they're accurately compensated. I mean, the, the Ivy League has some weird things
3: about scholarships that you, you don't really need to get into.
1: But in any yeah. case, so I, they did this before and then it got reversed because there was a new administration. In, and once the appeals got to the national level, it was like, no. But I wonder at this point, even if it is a Republican National Labor Relations Board, if they would – let that stand because everybody hates the NCAA so much at this point that it's actually a bipartisan issue. But if it does stick, we are suddenly in a world where they are employees and they have the right to collectively bargain, which frankly, the sport needs
6: at private schools. Keep in mind. Yeah, that's so. so on this one. We we had a lot of these conversations like a decade ago when the same thing happened with Northwestern football. Right. Uh, And. Among the reasons that this, because you know, they they went to the regional board, regional board said you're employees, and they went to the national board, and they essentially they didn't say you're not employees, they just declined to assert jurisdiction, so status quo stays. And the reasons they said that were one, Northwestern was the only private school in a conference full of public schools, uh, and uh, two, there was this mismatch between all of the, you know, that problem extends across all of football, and they don't want to create an Unworkable, essentially labor market, uh, where some schools had the ability to collectively bargain, some schools don't. The Ivy League is this is a weird case. I mean, this is probably not the kind of thing. It's a big headline grabber because of what they said, but it's such a weird case because they're not scholarship athletes, and so they are. They said they're compensated. Partially because of you know swag and and travel and this and that, but mostly because they get into Dartmouth. They are admitted, you know, as as priority admits to a school that has like a five percent admission rate. That's not going to be the case everywhere. You've got a full conference full of private schools. That's not going to be the case everywhere. So this is just a really very one kind of one off case. the The principle might be might be valid across the board. The case you're going to want to look to, I think, is the USC case uh, in California, where not only is USC, I forget which sport, bringing essentially the same action that they're saying, we as as athletes are actually employees. We need to be treated under as employees under the NLRB or under the NLRA. But they're also bringing that action against the Pac-12 and the NCAA as joint employers. And the reason that's important is because, to Seth's point, the NLRA only applies to private act to private actors. So, if you're a an a an employee at the University of Michigan, the National Labor Relations Act doesn't apply to you. But if you are a joint employee of, say, Michigan and the Big Ten and the NCAA, potentially federal labor law could apply to you. That's not a that's not a for sure thing. That's going to be a lawsuit, I guarantee you, because there are serious federalism separation of powers things of. Basically declaring federal law applicable to state employees, which is what this would be doing. But that's the case that's going to try and tie those concepts together and say the NCAA, because of some changes, especially that came into place in, in just December of this last year, where it extended the definition of what counts as a, as a, uh, a joint employer. All of the rules that the NCAA puts in place, all the scheduling, all these controls, that all That and the conferences, they set all of these things in a way that probably makes them join employers. Now, what that means from a a collective bargaining standpoint, no one knows because that's a really weird mix of public and private that no one's really, I don't think, tried before. So,
1: it doesn't sound like unionization is on the uh, near term horizon, I guess is what you're saying. Collective bargaining.
6: Yeah. Not collective bargaining in a way that solves the problem the NCAA needs it to solve, because you can have individual bargaining units at all the individual schools. And I, I think you're gonna start seeing that more, you know, sooner rather than later, especially at the private schools, but you'll probably see it at the public schools also. Problem is you're not gonna have, you know, there are eleven thousand division one football players. There are five thousand division one basketball players, and those are just the the major revenue sports. You've got tens or hundreds of thousands of athletes in very different situations and so even if you get some of these one-off two-off you know labor units out there doing some some collective bargaining you have to have all of it under the tent because the things that you need to bargain the mandatory subjects are your wages you know michigan can't negotiate wages because the ncaa sets these rules you know they, they can't they don't you know michigan doesn't can't set scheduling there are some things with the the ordinary day-to-day stuff that they can negotiate, but the big ticket items all have to be done at a big level. And you can't do that when you, it, finding a, a bargaining unit of 11,000 people and trying to find something that works for everybody, you know, especially given the, you know, the difference between you know the eighth linebacker on the, the depth chart at, at San Jose State versus the starting quarterback at Michigan. You've just got such a – it's such a difficult thing to consider – Especially because you're not going to have any exper- I mean, people are out in five years unless you're Jack Tuttle. So you're not going to have you, you know you're not going to have these units where you've got people that are you know where you have a consistent you know studying understanding of how these things work. So you're you're going to end up with a weak union. It, it's just it's so hard to see, practically speaking, how they get there.
2: That was actually what I wanted to ask you about next was because. All of the, you know, mostly known and relevant people in this union would be turning over so quickly, and no one of high note is going to be around very long. And then you have other people, who might be you know, on three, four, five years, whatever. Like, d- does that just even complicate it even further? And I, it sounds like the answer is probably yes.
6: It, it probably it complicates it. Uh, you can, and this happened with Northwestern. Like, you can bring in. You know, essentially, professional union-related people. You can have some. You don't have to just rely on the people on your <laughs> on your roster and not have not seek any out any input from from outside parties. Uh, individual labor unions would be happy to provide people to provide that expertise and a little bit of consistency. But at the end of the day, it's the bargaining unit that has to make the decisions and and has to agree on things. And so I, it's the the turnover is a big issue. But there's also just the issue of these these folks are so differently situated, even if you're just talking about within the same sport.
1: Uh, well, I mean, I think look. that there's a pretty clear bifurcation, right? Like the Big Ten and the SEC, you could have a bargaining
2: unit that covered both those conferences and probably the, the Big 12. Could you do it by sport? You'd have to. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah. it would be completely different for football than it would be for, like, men's or women's gymnastics.
1: Yeah. And and like one thing that collective bargaining <clears> – <throat> would be able to do is would be able to put a little bit of a damper on the portal fiesta that has been the past two or three off seasons of college football. Right.
3: Because if if you could sign a contract that says you have to play for me, it would also solve the sitting out of bowl games thing too, right? Like you now – in in order to get your scholarship, you have a contract. Or you you know in order to get this deal, you have a contract to play for this team for this amount of time. Even their NIL, um their NIL contracts can't include you. You know you have to stay at Michigan in right. order because that's an NCAA so rule.
1: So like the NCAA is so paranoid about people being employees that they're hurting their own product because like I don't think anybody likes. The portal stuff like where it's like okay we got a guy for a year and we have no idea what's going on with our our roster and i know the coaches hate it right like nobody
6: go ahead and, and the other big thing to think about is the way labor law works and the way antitrust law work together antitrust law really wants people to work this stuff out for themselves and so there's there's a concept that If the parties collectively bargain for something, that is immune from antitrust consideration. So, if everybody gets together and agrees on a salary cap, that's fine. You can do that. And so, a effective national bargaining unit solves the NCAA's antitrust issues. Like just out the like it just it completely makes them go away from a legal standpoint. So, if I'm the NCAA, I'm begging them.
1: Right. But this is is an organization that has been so dead set against it that they can't even see what's in their best interest at this point. Like they keep spending millions and millions of dollars to get dunked on in the courts and they're losing every single one of these battles and that's going to happen sooner or later and it would be to their benefit at this point. To unionize everybody in college sports because then they won't get dunked on in court anymore. But they just can't do it. That's And that's the thing. The
3: NCAA – and we talked about this when we did the, the NCAA is antithetical to the NCAA uh, TK show that we, were talk, that we did yeah. a few weeks ago. And I brought this up too. There is the model that they have other than for you know sports where certain players get paid or, or have value way beyond – What a scholarship is. The model works for the vast majority of athletes.
5: Yeah,
1: D three and D two are fine.
3: Yeah, and and a lot of D one. Remember, D one does not include like you know the the Big Ten is only a small part of D one. Right. Right. So for most of them, they could agree on some sort of cap and probably work with the IRS on this too, and say, look. As long as we're just compensating them with uh, with scholarships and cost of attendance, everything short of cost of attendance, and we can include their NIL bills so that it doesn't get super complicated and, like, you know, we're putting things in different boxes. As long as their compensation is below a certain point, we don't have to include scholarships as compensation. Technically, they should, but it's something that the public can say, look – we have an interest in having college sports. We like that our institutions can give athletes scholarships in return for having them play sports. Somebody who's making more than that should be taxed and should be you know, able to collectively bargain and whatnot. But most of these people have a good deal with just the scholarship situation. I, most And they're all going to get run into this. So like a lot of D1 schools, if they have to pay everybody as employees, are not going to be able to afford – half the sports that they're – at least half the sports that they're sponsoring right
1: now. Well, we got we to gotta actually draw a distinction between teams that are in the black and teams that are not in the black, right? Right. Like <clears throat> teams that are not in the black, you should not have to be paying your players because you're not actually a for-profit enterprise. You're not actually siphoning off that revenues that these players deserve because there aren't any.
3: Yeah. and And that's true on the teams as well. Certain players on Michigan are not necessarily – The
1: individual team stuff I think is best left to the teams themselves, right? Like I don't think you need to step in and do anything with that. You just need to be like, there's this pool of money. Go. I I think that
3: if you could have a very simple way of doing it across the board, if you start with the standard being cost of attendance does not count Towards any of this, cost of attendance can function the way that amateurism has always sure. has, has always functioned. Anyone making more than cost of attendance, now we have different rules. And I think
6: that that well, there's yeah there's a couple wrinkles in that though. One is to the point about schools that make money. Dart Dartmouth doesn't make any money, and the NLRB was very clear. And, and they do this in other realms, not just athletics. But it doesn't matter if the, if they make if they are making money. A lot of a lot of very large. Companies make no money whatsoever. They lose money hand over fist in the tech sector, but those employees are still employees. So from a labor law standpoint, they're not going to care. The only issue with the, with the issues about taxation is there's also currently, um, among the NCAA's other suits, they're currently being sued in the Johnson case in Pennsylvania to get the Fair Labor Standards Act to apply to college athletes. That's the one that is, as opposed to the bigger picture labor law stuff, this is minimum wage, workers' comp. That kind of stuff. And so if the athletes win that, then theoretically they have to be paid minimum wage. And so the school has to show how they are paying the minimum wage and has to basically declare that as income. And so that that could throw – I don't know what that looks like, but that could throw a real wrench in things if they have to prove you know, basically by showing – the the IRS or whoever it is, this is how much we're compensating these people. The IRS, it's easier for them today to look the other way and just say scholarships, whatever. It's harder when they're basically when they're, they're getting a W two. Yeah, that, <laughs> a, that,
1: that the the scholarship is the minimum wage, right?
6: Yeah, but but it's also not income for taxation purposes. Like the school can't do that. Like right. the IRS would basically have to come up with its own very specialized niche for this. And I, it, I, I think that's not. That sounds to, like
1: something Congress will have to deal. It's with.
6: something Congress will
3: have to deal with. That's what we're talking. That's what we're moving now <clears> into. Because what you're talking about is liability. Their liability under the laws that govern labor and govern taxation in, in America cannot apply in this weird little market carve out that the ncaa has created and you're gonna need some congressional <laughs> assistance to figure out exactly where we draw the line because i don't think anyone wants to draw the line where we normally where we have a normal labor relations and normal tax. right like relations. like
1: there's the solutions that work for the players who are currently being undercompensated don't work for players who are not undercompensated so <clears throat> they're going to have to be some sort of action at the federal level to make Dartmouth and Michigan be able to play in the NCAA tournament, right? Because this is this is the this is the thing that we want. We want,
6: and that's and that's an important point: is that the NCAA uh, didn't completely lose all of their standing in terms of the ability to. You know, their argument has always been differentiate between the college game and the pro game. The, the way the NCAA tried to differentiate has been has been unworkable and has been exploitative. But it's it, the both the it, the in the Austin case, the court acknowledged that and said, "This is a you can do this. You can you can take steps to any steps to differentiate between the, the college game and the pro game." You know, they didn't say what would be permissible, but that concept is not dead. And so, really, the, I mean, the three the three avenues that are remaining are, you see how far antitrust law lets them go before the before the court say, "Okay, fine, you can still you know you can." Stop, stop schools from having to pay an actual salary. Or you can find a way to thread the collective bargaining needle, which is tricky, or you find a way to get Congress to do something with it. And, and the easy, I mean, whenever you say, well, the easiest way is just to get Congress to do it, well, yeah, <laughs> that's, I, I, not a, that's not a good sign for, for what you're trying to do. No. But that might be the easiest way to, <laughs> to solve it.
1: I mean, it is one of those things where I think everybody is like, this is broken. Let's try to fix it. It might be one of the rare things that you can actually get some work done on. Uh, have we missed any lawsuits <laughs> that are currently pending?
6: I, I mean, it's the bouncing the rubble types. Um, Jeff Kessler has another lawsuit with uh, Chuba Hubbard uh, is the name plaintiff. It's a it's a class action suit. But, you know, those Alston payments that the court Supreme Court said, you can't not pay them for this they're looking for the back pay for those payments which is like 3 or 400 million dollars. Um, they're also suing them in the Carter case and that one is the whole enchilada. That is declare all restrictions on compensation to be a violation of antitrust law. You can't prevent schools from paying salaries. You can't you know nothing nothing that even touches compensation is permissible under antitrust law. So
1: what's the That's- what's the timeline of that one because that seems like the one that is the most paradigm shifting if it is
6: that's that's the newest one and even the the house one which has been pending for a while which is just specific to nil that's not going to trial till january of next year so you've got carter probably would be a couple of years because these are these are massive suits involving huge classes of people that have to be certified they finally they already have the, the classes certified in the house case and that one still isn't is a year away from trial so carter you're talking probably years two or three years before that actually all right comes to fruition
1: and uh i know that the courts can be somewhat unpredictable but does it seem like that's a slam dunk is i mean given that the NCAA loses everything
6: i think house is a slam dunk i think because especially because the ncaa came out and said nil is okay it's not we don't love it but nil is okay they lost any legal ground they had to say it is necessary for you know it's a restriction on trade but it's necessary for us to do what we're trying to do and that the moment they came out and said Eh, It's okay. They lost that one. I don't. I think they've got decent ground on, on the actual the concept of compensation generally because that completely destroys the distinction that the courts have said is okay for them to try and maintain. Um, I mean, shouldn't the distinction think,
1: be they have to go to class at the college? That seems like a pretty big distinction to me.
6: <laughs> well, I think the, the NCAA has to has to decide real quick what they want that distinction to be and try and draw any you know, some sort of principled line because at this point it's just you know they're, they're just flailing at whatever whatever pops in front of them. And they're just they're just getting dunked on so hard. Just well, so part of hard. the
3: problem too is that the NCAA has a lot of member schools that they're trying to represent that they're not really representing, and they have a few member schools who don't really want an equitable system, who are really the ones that the NCAA is pushing for. Like they're they're doing what's best for LSU, not what's best for sure. every Louisiana. Well, they're not LSU. really
1: doing what's best for LSU. They're just this sclerotic organization that can't understand. That the meteor is coming and they should maybe put up a, an umbrella or something? to you know.
3: I, I'm, I'm telling you the perspective of the people in charge of it, the, the system that they're trying to protect is the system that was not workable to begin with well, but yeah. was best for schools that wanted to pay kids under the table. Right. That is that's the system not, that, they want, that they're actually functionally trying to protect.
1: The, functionally, yes, but that's not the reason they're doing it. The reason they're doing it is because they don't know how else to act. They've been so – indoctrinated, inculcated into this like amateurism mantra Mm -hmm. that like they can't think like normal human beings. And that's how you get these things where it's like NIL's okay, just don't use it as an inducement. That literally anybody outside of the NCAA looks at and they're like, are you guys crazy? And they're like, student-athletes. And they're like, that's like (laughs) they say student-athlete and their whole brain changes.
3: The the only the difference between what you're saying and what I'm saying, I think, is that you are giving the NCAA too much credit for believing that amateurism was, that's was real. real. No,
1: that's. And the I only... don't
3: think that they were. On the, no, they were
1: not that dumb. Did you did you did you read the Stapleton letter that he sent to everybody? <laughs> they are that dumb. <laughs> yeah, that guy oh. is the stupidest guy on the planet. <laughs> he's I can't a, argue that. <laughs> he's the dumbest man in the world, and I believe. That you can get suits in a room, and uh-huh. they will be like, "Okay, well, this is a righteous action that we are taking. It just happens to benefit me financially." Oopsie, and they'll just go with it. And I, I just, you know, never ascribe there. to uh, malice what you can uh, ascribe to incompetence. Uh-huh. I just think that they, there's this mindset, and you can see the like organizational cultures can become real disease. Like you see at Boeing, right? Yeah, they just get the the bean counters up there, and they're not an engineering firm anymore. They're financialized, and once that starts happening, anything that looks sane just ceases to exist. Like it's the private equity mindset, and I'm not saying that it's a different kind of mindset. It's the same mindset. At the NCAA, that means that you know Tarrant Shannon can't come to Michigan because yeah. we might impugn our academic, you know, <laughs> reputation. It's, it 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 doesn't make any sense but yeah. you, the only reason that it could make sense is if you're inside this organization and it has, you know, imposed some sort of worldview upon you. So
6: they're they're the, they're, the, they're the Romanov dynasty. They're they're this is 1914, they don't know like not only do they not know when to give ground, they don't know how to give ground. Like they they don't know what the people want. They they just they'll, they'll throw random things out there thinking maybe this will solve the problem and they just don't know what what to do to make it go away because they don't know what the problem is because they've been staring at it through this one mindset for what, 75 80 years you know they just they they don't have the foresight to get out of their own way and not even just to solve some of the problems but just to stop setting up new problems like the uh, the president of the ncaa came out with his proposal about paying players which is great except you're in the middle of like 13 different lawsuits where you're trying to say our model cannot survive if we're getting paid. Like they just yeah. – <laughs> they do not they do not have any sort of plan here to not get themselves just kicked in the junk over and over again by – basically by Jeff Kessler but by anybody who really wants to step up and give it a shot.
3: Yeah, I do want to give them credit for one bit of intelligence. They know TV money is the ballgame uh-huh. and they have been protecting – that If so anytime they have an opportunity to do something, they all they they are laser focused on trying to keep the model. If players are going to get paid, it's going to be donors. They want like the fans to start giving money. They want big money donors to step forward and pay through. The one thing that they are trying to hold on to more than anything is the TV money. So they at least
1: know I'm that still, that's their liability. I'm still waiting for a basketball team to just not play an NCAA tournament game.
3: I, I I'm think, still. Waiting. I think athletes are so. I, I, mean. I know. I, like, <laughs>
1: yeah. th- There's going to be some sort of seminal event where it's like, "Sorry, guys, we're not getting paid for this." You are, right? Jim Nance, what's going on? So, uh, you know, I think that the athletes have more power than they they think they do.
6: And then you've you've got you know underlying underlining all of this, or or in the background of all of this, is Title Nine. And no one has any clue what any of this means for Title IX, except that it's going to be really hard to make all of that work yes. in a way well, that Well, it's
1: sort of un- inherently unbalanced because it's like, you know, Caitlin Clark is a national phenomenon in a way that a female athlete. That in nobody else on
3: the Iowa team is.
1: Has been. Yeah. And that doesn't happen for female athletes very often. So it's going to be sort of like what happened to the U.S. national soccer teams, where the women were getting paid much less than the men simply because the men play in the men's world cup and the payouts for that are astronomical compared to the payouts for the women's world cup. And that's because the women's world cup doesn't get nearly the amount of advertising. The men's does. And they went to court and they came back and now it's equal pay, even though the, it it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense because the uh, women on the national team get like a salary because mm-hmm. it's like their primary job. Mm-hmm. So there's the NWSL, which is, A fly-by-night thing that – you know, or a franchise is open and close and people get paid or they don't get paid. But if you're Lindsey Horan, the bulk of your money is coming from U.S. soccer. And for the men, they don't do that because they all have jobs that they can reliably get paid at. And so what happens is you play for the national team and you just get a chunk of money. And if you win, you get a bonus and all that stuff. So the models were completely different. But they had to go to court to figure that out, and I imagine that will be the end game here as well, is that they go to court and something happens where – because it's unbalanced and it can't be balanced.
3: It's – I mean the solution that I keep on – that I think – I mean it's going to take an act of Congress to do. But if you go with a cost of attendance standard, the schools themselves know how to do this accounting already.
1: The issue is like you can – Negotiate with JJ McCarthy when he's a five-star quarterback, and you're gonna be like, okay, we're gonna give you this amount of money. Mm -hmm. You can't do that with Caitlin Clark because you don't know. And like, like, I don't understand how Michigan is gonna go to women's basketball players and be like, we got this salary for you, when that that program is in the red. I'm saying, like, it's gonna it's gonna be very difficult to figure out that. The schools themselves
3: will have to figure that piece out themselves. They already do the accounting for this kind of stuff with you know for. to, to, for Title IX, they already do all this accounting already. They already know all the players they have, how many scholarships they're giving out, what the value of the scholarships are. They have to do that already. They have to know how much the value of a scholarship at Michigan is
6: and apply that financially to okay, but that's not, Title IX. That's that's, not, but that's when you're just talking about scholarships, yeah. really. I mean realistically what you're talking about. You're talking about roster spots. You're talking about scholarships. If you're talking about actual compensation, the nice thing about NIL, it's a it's a workaround – But the money wasn't coming from the school. And so the school is not providing different amounts of money or different compensation or different opportunity to men's versus women's. It's just that the NIL money naturally flows in certain directions. If you get to a place where you're sharing uh, broadcast revenue, um, if you're sharing, if you're actually providing salaries, if you're, if you're actively directing a university owned or university controlled NIL fund to players, you run into those, those issues where you, know, you have to figure out real quick what is equal opportunity. and, well, and I, I don't know if we have that answer, and that's well,
1: and so then you have the specter of guys like Denard Robinson, mm-hmm. guys like Martavius Odoms coming and playing for Michigan football and getting some amount of revenue, and then seeing a big chunk of their revenue go to women athletes who are overwhelmingly, disproportionately white and wealthy. Yeah, and like that doesn't sit well with me, and like I know it's not. "Quote unquote fair," mm-hmm. but you know it, you're you're already in a pretty good spot. Yeah, and you know Denard Robinson doesn't have nearly the wealth that he should have, and you know it's it's going to be tricky. And I don't know what the right answer is, or even if there is a right answer. All right, I think uh, we're <laughs> in line for some final thoughts,
6: Ryan. Uh, I mean they've got they've got to. I have no idea. I have no idea. What <laughs> I was trying to think, all right, this is, this is their best, plan. they don't have it. Like there is no good plan. Cause again, they could keep getting dunked on in court. They can try and get, try and, you know, figure out some collective bargaining. They can try and go to Congress. Like none of these are good options. Like they just don't have any good options. And this, and the, the ground underneath them is getting worse. I mean, it is the, the way the conferences are realigning is, is clearly demonstrating the, the financial nature of this, of The way major athletics is going, you know, the uh, it just everything, everything, the lawsuit with the ACC and the FSU is going to reveal some fun discovery and the Pac-12 mess is going to reveal some fun discovery. Like everything in front of them just screams you have nothing left to stand on. Just find something to grab onto. I don't know what it is.
3: I I always try to find some historical precedent. The problem with this is every historical precedent, anything like this,
6: is they collapse and something else grows out of it. All right. Well, have the, fun. the only the only thing keeping them from collapsing is it's college sports, and they w- we will find a way to save college sports. Right. Yeah. that's the only hope I've got to hold on onto. Uh,
1: well, have fun storming the castle, Jeffrey Kessler, <laughs> and thank you for being on, Brian. Appreciate it. Jake Butt here, guys,
0: live down from the National Championship Convention Center down in Houston, and we got some big-time news for you guys, Michigan faithful. We need your help to keep our team. Last year, Champion Circle launched the One More Year Fund to support key players coming back, like Blake Corum, Trevor Keegan, and Zach Sinner, who elected to return to Michigan for one more year. Now we're launching the Those Who Stay NIL campaign. Our rivals are coming after many of our key players, trying to induce them to leave michigan it's time for the michigan family to show our players how much we appreciate them and want them back in the maze and blue to keep the momentum going head over to those who stay U again that is those who stay U to support go blue It can be a rough ride along the information
1: superhighway. That's why we build our e-commerce websites tough enough to handle the load. With the capacity to take hundreds of simultaneous online transactions and the stability of load-balanced,
0: co-located server architectures, a website from Human Element performs in the roughest conditions. Thousands of products, no problem. We'll throw in the tools to manage them with precision and efficiency. All with the design slick enough to make you think your girlfriend might be impressed. So load it up and hit the gas, and let Human know
1: show you the way. Special offers available for return. License. Financing available with approved credit to qualified buyers. Client participation may affect savings. Optional equipment available at additional cost. See human-element.com for details. In southeastern Michigan, the yearly cost for a nursing home averages approximately one hundred thousand. It doesn't have to though. Reed McCarthy founded Ann Arbor Elder Law after handling a tricky situation for his own family. Years of experience later, his boutique firm works with clients across Southeast Michigan dealing with Medicaid planning, long-term care, and tax disability and family law, not to mention family dynamics. If you have a family member who may need that level of care, or if you're ready to start your own estate plan, Reed can give you a plan for the future. Visit Ann or call 734. 734- nine four five nine six nine three that's seven three four nine four five nine six nine three
3: it's painless it's online It's group ordering made easy for your next custom printed apparel order. Pogo from Underground Printing will save you time and hassle. Whether you're selling shirts for a fundraiser, organizing a large event, trying to collect sizes and payments for a family union, or, you know, ordering a whole bunch of shirts with your Kickstarter, Underground Printing is here to help. Save time and hassle every step of the way with their easy-to-use site, no more guessing what to order, chasing people down to pay, wasting time trying to sort out the order. They'll set it up. You can just sit back and relax. They'll even take care of individual shipping. To learn more about, about Pogo, visit them at any of their convenient locations or, under, or at pogo.undergroundshirt.com.
7: Up in the five-star telly, saying to my rhymes, speed up average MCs of the times. Unlike them, we crap gems. so systematically inclined. The pin lines bounce, saying the producer's name I'm over the track. Yeah, I said it. What you need to do is get back to reading credits, read the medics, alphabetically. Stop on that English shit now, but now, before, before that, four shot, four rock, four can't blow. From the top of the key for three villain, been on in the game as long as he can really swim. Turn the corner, spinning, bust that ass and get up. Dust off the mask, curve a laugh, give him a head up. He got jumped hockey splits
1: with Penn State which is not helpful because Penn State is behind them in the pairwise so they're kind of stuck in this
2: bubble where they're on the bubble but they're on the wrong side of it they're slipping down the bubble. I mean, because this year, like it, it used to be what, like 15th was the cutoff of like, if you're 16th, you're out because Atlantic hockey. But this year, the CCHA has no good teams, but is going to get somebody in. So it's 14 now is is the hard. No, like I would recommend 12. Yeah. <laughs> but 14 is if you're not at 14, you don't have a chance.
1: Right. And so Michigan wins on Friday in <laughs> in the first period. In the first period, they score two goals in the first 61 seconds. They extend it to a 4-0 lead, and then the third period happens, and it
2: goes to 4-3, and then they get an empty netter. And it wasn't really like the typical third period where you just have these breakdowns everywhere. I mean, one of the goals wasn't great. The other one is sort of like this pinball that bounces off of Barcheski, Casey, and a guy in front who I'm not even sure if he shoots it. He gets credit for the goal. But it's like, you know, those are going to happen. The two-on-one, you know— you can look at it several different ways, but I think in the end it comes down to Rutger just not dumping the puck in and turning it over in the neutral zone and then leading to a little bit of a rush. Maybe Truscott plays it better or should have played it better. Maybe he screens Barczewski. There's a lot in that, but, you know, at a 4-2 game with five minutes to go, like, just throw the puck in the other end. Don't try to get fancy.
1: Yeah, but they do manage to win that one, and then they come into the Saturday night game um – one of
2: the least interesting hockey games I have perceived in a while. Just a bad. I mean, they get game. they start good start. Like, I mean, they get a breakout pass and they're up one zero because red or um, Penn State's defensemen are like both on the boards and yeah. TJ Hughes mm-hmm. just goes right down the middle, and and then they give up a power play goal immediately after
1: that. They're in the box for five minutes in the first period and another minute. They have three penalties. Yeah, I
2: mean, one of those was like... One of those was awful. Ugh. Like the interference like, penalty on, on Edwards, Edwards where the guy's literally like... Over the puck. Over the puck. Yeah, that was bad. I didn't see the first one, the replay. I was probably taking note or something. Uh, the holding call on Edwards was legit. Yeah, he legit. legit. He just gets he just gets beat. Yeah. But, um, but and they kill most of those. They I c- mean...
1: Yeah, they do. They, and they give up the one. And then the second period is just the worst period of hockey I've seen in a long time. Well, Penn State... Penn State is playing Michigan State hockey from three years ago. Well,
2: I don't think they generally do.
1: No, but that's what they But said. after
2: they got – I mean, the odd man rush chart on Friday was insane. There was like six and five. on. So you're just – it was just alternating. And I think Penn State realized we don't have the talent to do this no. with this team. So we do this again. We get run out of the rink. So they actually try to play defensively, which normally I would be like, yeah, go for it. Well, they did. And they, they did. played very well. And Soulier played – really well. He's had a terrible year. He was he was not very good two years ago. Last year, he's very good and almost steals the game in Allentown, gets it to overtime. In fact, Fantilli has to score in the size of a pin just to get it to overtime. And then this year, he's awful. But honestly, after that first minute in on the Friday game, I thought he was pretty good. Yeah, um,
1: but it, it also is striking that when a team is playing defensively, The only line that can generate anything is the first line.
2: Well, and so that's sort of the debate that, you know, we kick around is like, do you play the hero line or do you disperse them?
1: So,
3: this is what you and I were talking a little bit about before the podcast that uh, in the NHL, they've started to shift towards putting more minutes on their top lines, their top defenders. And Michigan is doing that this year. They're they, they don't run their fourth line out there very much, and they barely ever use their last defenders.
2: Uh, I mean, they rotate. Yeah. The, they rotate all three pairs. Pre- I don't have time on ice, but, like, you see I, everything. I
1: don't feel like they're...
2: I- yeah, you yeah. do see everybody, but it yeah. does feel yeah. like I mean, shit. they're playing seven guys on defense. Like, Casey is out there a lot. Yeah. Well, they play the Casey and Duke line the most because it's probably their most consistent <sighs> line. But, I mean, you still see Steve Holtz and Luka, and then they split I'm not saying up.
3: you don't see them.
2: No, I don't think yeah, that's right. I feel like the defensive pairings are pretty well split, but. Maybe the maybe the the forwards don't play as much, but. But in any case. They still play them enough. I, I'm saying. Like, the gap on this team is not in the first
1: line. Right. Because you Mm -hmm. you do have a bunch of second year players who were highly drafted players and they're performing like you'd expect. And then, yeah, I mean,
2: once you drop down to the second and third lines, you have like Schiffsky and then it's like, who else is going to. So Draper didn't play this weekend. And so they move Schiffsky off the second line and they try him on Friday as uh, I forget if his third or fourth line center. Third. And then nothing really changes on Saturday. And I think that to some extent hurt the second line although Duke and Hughes combined for the goal and, and they've been pretty good over the year over the, the the weeks I should say the one thing though that you know and Alex you know always harps on this when we talk about this on the hockey cast is okay if you're going to play the hero line together you can do that but they have to score because if they don't it's like the Fantilli line last year you're in a little bit of trouble if you break them up like they did in the first half and you have Rucker and Brinley playing together and you play Nazar with with Schiffsky or something now you kind of have you know two sets like how they, how they played um, KJ and Veneers, and then they played Bordelot and Brasson. So you have like, and then you pair a guy with them that fits their particular skill sets. Then you have a depth of lines. And, you know, Draper's out, so you're playing both Pletzky and Rowe. You're just kind of running out of impact players, and you're running out of centers. So it kind of, there was a bit of a trickle-down effect. Now, that's not to say that they shouldn't have won Saturday, because I think that, they need to be better than Penn State if they want to make the tournament. Well, this, the the go ahead goal at the end of the second period is just like he hits like the inch that's available. Yeah, it's just a one in a million shot. I mean, that's that's you know that's a bit of a failed clear from Truscott where he has the puck. I know, but he the, throws it the, up the boards lazily. But but, it doesn't get out.
1: But it's that's that's going to happen at some point, and then you just get mm-hmm. one of those shots that is like, well, that's not really anybody's fault, but it's also like. I don't know.
3: I, uh, yeah, I mean, Barcheski had so many hero saves in that game too, though he
1: did. Well, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not blaming Barczeski. Yeah, Barcheski, but the wraparound was, was beautiful. is a certain height. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so there's always going to be that inch, and it was just a, a miracle shot. And then you get to the third period.
2: Michigan looks like they're going to go on a five-minute. So they. That's the frustrating part. Like when you're talking about that defensive zone clear by Truscott, is that. The first half of that second period, you know, I saw you tweeting and and mentioning stuff about how this is, like, boring and sleepy and all that. And you weren't incorrect. But Michigan started to get more chances in the second half of that second period. And you could see a little bit coming and and sort of them starting to crash a few more waves in that you're like, okay, one of these chances is probably going to go in at some point. But then you get that second goal. And so now it's 2-1, to so you reset it. They do tie it on a really nice play from Brindley and and Nazar but then you just get the awkward awful play from Barczewski, and Truscott is beaten to the to the crease by uh, dowieak I think and it's just like it's always something little there's always some detail that gets them and like Barchewski hasn't given up a goal like that in that's probably the worst goal he's given up this year arguably yeah it's been a long time since he's given up like a goal where you're like that is on you, bro. That's the re- that's the rebound? It's the shot that comes in, and he's sort of fading to the post, and he's there, and it hits him in the chest, and he's fading to the right, and somehow the puck bounces back to the left.
1: Okay, the one thing I would say
2: about that for Barczewski is that that puck was tipped right before it got to him. So he's okay. expecting it. On that one or yeah. on the first one? Because the first one was tipped into his chest, but he's in position. He, yeah. he can't corral it, and it's whacked in. All right, I'm thinking about the first one. Yeah, I'm sorry. This one is just he he's sliding to the right. And he, he has squared up and he somehow bobbles it back to the left, which is if you're going to move, if you're going to drop a rebound, it has to go in the direction you're going. <laughs> Otherwise, you can't get right. to it. <laughs> right. And, it bounces into like the, the perfect slot. Right. And, yeah. and you know, Truscott is beaten. That's, you know, partially his job is to like clear that area. And, you know, Bartreski just leaves it out there. And you're just like, I mean, I was explaining this to somebody last night, but that's not even something you practice. I mean, a little bit. But, like, telling a guy, okay, you know, you can't leave a rebound there. Yeah, all right. I'm sure he's done that. It's like the the Duke turnovers in the Michigan State game. Like, he just fell over, and he just freaked out and threw the puck to the corner. Like, these aren't things that are – they're one-offs. Well, and – But there's always a different one-off. Yeah. And that's the thing that I always – that I'm starting to wonder is, like, why is in every game on a Saturday night there is a stupid little breakdown well, I, that ends up costing
1: him? But, but that's, like, because – they're not that good. Well, and that might be the conclusion. And that's often, and that's because we had this ridiculous hiring process that well, cost Michigan an entire off season of recruiting and cost them Trey Augustine. Yeah, well, but that was you I
3: might mean, have lost Augustine anyway when hiring. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: But what I'm saying is that like on a different team, the Truscott thing doesn't matter because they score a goal or something. Like you're going into the third period against Penn State, you got two, you got one goal. Yeah. And, like, to me, we're, we're talking about little defensive breakdowns and stuff, and to me, Michigan is always going to be a team that needs to outscore their mistakes. And they just don't have the firepower this year because they brought in Moldenhauer, who hasn't really done a whole lot, and they brought in Shipsky who's been a pleasant surprise. And then they don't really have another impact player to replace all of what they lost from last year.
2: Yeah. No, they just brought back a bunch of, like, secondary pieces last and, year that are now tearing it up.
3: And I was getting to about... The, the, Michigan runs like an NHL team. They run their lines like an NHL team, and they have a hero line like an NHL team. But if you look at what is getting super expensive in the NHL right now, it's second-line centers. Like the trade deadline went nuts for second-line centers, and that's what you need to have a playoff run now because otherwise everyone's just going to jam up your hero line. And that's how the game is being played on that level. If we want to play that way, you need to have a lethal second but line. But I don't
2: think that... I mean, look at the scoring on the second line, though. But like you DJ get, Hughes and Dylan Duke... you got to and- get rid of the... I mean, the, all the scoring numbers in this on this team are distorted by the wood Right, over. you're right. Yeah. But I, that's hard to parse out because there are now so many games to like figure out. Okay, who got what, and did they get them here and there? I mean, I don't have all those numbers readily available. I'm just saying they, it would be nice. If, but
3: hockey is not a is not a sport where the talent r- differential is as exploitable as most sports. I mean,
1: to me, it happens. does gotta, happen when you can just like who's driving play. Brinley drives play. Yeah. Nazar drives play. Yeah. That's it. Rucker is, is, has kicked it up a notch this year. A little They've bit, all, I but, mean, he's been a lot better than he was last year. But in terms of like the second line, who's driving play on that line? Shift- Probably a
2: Duke. A little bit. No. Sean You Casey, don't think so? No, there's no way. <laughs> he's a net front guy. He's a passenger. That's the other guy that we didn't talk about is that Casey is a lot of times a guy who creates in the offensive zone. And, and I didn't really see a ton from him offensively. All series, really. There were a couple times where he got low and he's doing his little circles and, and finding guys, but not the way that he normally does. Usually there's multiple notes I have written down throughout the game of like, oh, there's Casey, you know, Steve Nashing again.
1: Well, it's but, it's, it's hard because we got, what, like into the third period in this game before Michigan got a power play. Well, that's something else, And that's too. fucking ridiculous. It, it
2: did feel like that. It is ridiculous that Michigan is this good and they just never get. Now I didn't, call. I didn't see any like blatant missed calls. The only thing that I had is when they got their power play, I thought it could have been a penalty shot. Well, and then the
1: other thing but, is they get that five minute major, and then they immediately review a hit from Estapa on a five four guy that doesn't hit his head. He did not hit the guy's head, and the head snaps back because of the contact to the body. And then they give him a five minute major, and I, I was, I almost
2: turned the television off. I was like, you have got to be kidding me, and. It's it's ridiculous. I mean, that's just the Big Ten refs, and it's that hasn't changed in years. Well, you saw it's going to happen. You know, usually Nerado has been fairly chill about this stuff.
1: Yeah, he 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 lost it. He was furious (laughs) after that one, and deservedly, because it was bullshit. And I am I am sick of this. Like, it is ridiculous. But this is the way that it is. But it is ridiculous that this is the way that it is, because any glancing contact on someone's head is a five-minute major. Can you imagine if they applied the same standard in football? (laughs) Like, they have a targeting rule in football, and it's a good rule. It took them a while, but now they enforce it consistently. And the kind of hits that don't get called targeting in football should not be five-minute majors in hockey.
3: Is this a is this a hockey problem, a Big Ten problem, or a Michigan problem? It's I I don't see those penalties getting called on Ohio State or Penn State or Michigan State. No, or they. I name. mean,
2: they that that stuff happened. I mean, it, I don't know as much this year, and I don't think it's been as egregious this year. But in the previous year or two, I mean, you could turn on a lot of Big Ten games and and well, the previ- happen. But
1: what happened is Michigan would take a head hit and they just wouldn't call it. Well, and
2: like, that would also happen. And, and it, right. it's like. I, I have no faith I mean, in any Big Ten officials at this point. No, but I mean that's been the, unfortunately the case. But for it, too long. you have to. I think you just have to take
1: that into account. Mm-hmm. That Michigan should have had a five minute major with the best power play in America, and it was taken away yep. by some asshole.
3: Yeah, and and like you say, it's it's you know it's one thing, and you can that one thing again, and one thing again, and like it's they happen in bad moments, but like when you add all those things up, they just Michigan is just a lose 5 4 in the second game kind of team because of this stuff.
1: I mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much you can put on Narado not coaching defense like some people were saying
2: last year. I don't feel like that's what it feels like. It feels like. Well, I think that if this continues out the rest of the year and the same thing and they lose games in the same way against Notre Dame and then Minnesota and then they wash out in the first round of the Big Ten tournament, then it's time for a conversation down that road because it's like we. We're upset at the basketball program, not because they're not going to make the Final Four or because they're not going to win the Big Ten, but because they're not watchable and the same things that have gone wrong all year continue to go wrong. I mean, there's a difference and, between the basketball program being down 30 but, points to Nebraska but, and what's happening with the but, hockey. But, but my point is, is that you're looking at the reasons as to why, and it's the same things. And if, if Michigan can have as much talent as anyone in the country— and That's can, not true. You don't think so? No. I mean, I get texts from different people saying that, but... I mean, they're Hockey not. people. Like, but... but Who has more talent? BU,
1: BC, North Dakota. Minnesota? Not this year. Minnesota doesn't have more talent. But I like, don't know. They, people have
2: three first-rounders.
1: But, like, you got to talk about not just, okay, this guy went in the first round of the draft, but how old these guys are. Yeah. Like, everybody on that top line is a sophomore.
2: And Frank Nazar uh, didn't play last year. That's true. Mm-hmm. So, like... I mean, they also have Casey, and, and Edwards was a fourth-round pick. And, yeah, a fourth-round I mean, round so was Truscott, right. well, who I mean, Truscott hasn't really played like a fourth-round pick this year, if you no, ask me.
1: No, I don't think so either, but you're not—you're not, um, looking at— Duke was a fourth-round pick, but there are a lot there, of guys. There have been Michigan teams that are loaded, and this is not one of them, because as soon as you get past that first line, it's just like
2: guys. Well, I don't know. We'll find out next year, because that, top li- that second line is probably going to be their top line next year. Well, they're bringing in guys who... Will, there are some, yeah. Like, they're bringing in first-rounders
1: and stuff like that, and I just think it's going to take a little bit of time. And you can get a
3: pop from Moldenhauer or something next year, too. Yeah,
1: but you, you're going to have a transition cost because of Ward Manual's completely incompetent handling of this transition. So you And for Michigan, you can't take a recruiting class off because...
2: That's true. You're yeah.
1: cycling so quickly through players, and that's what they did. So... I don't think they're going to be great next year. And I think that's not going to be Brandon Narado's fault. I don't want people to jump off the bandwagon so so quickly because what he's doing in recruiting, they're going to be super loaded in the future.
3: I think that Narado – should I mean I don't think we're at like a fire Nerado point or anything like that or a you no know, are we see, looking down the road and seeing a fire Nerado point I think he does need to kind of maybe look at it and see if he needs to get some sand somewhere if he needs to get like some Wait. or just like like a goalie coach who's like gonna bring in an elite goalie every year because that look at Michigan th- State th- yeah Michigan State if they didn't have the best goalie in the league would not be on top of the league
1: I mean it's 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 frustrating. Because you swap the goalies on those two teams and, like, what does this season look like for Michigan?
3: Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot
1: different.
2: So,
3: Or bring Portillo back next this year. And-
2: uh, Portillo had a worse save percentage than Barcheski this yeah, year. Yeah, okay. He's also tearing up the AHL, but yeah, he also had a great <laughs> sophomore year. So you can, you can hate Portillo, but I'm going to defend him. I'm so. not <laughs> hating Portillo. I'm just saying that, like, the
1: goalie— You're remembering one year. But what I'm saying is that last year, the goalie performance versus this year is not a reason for the drop-off. Oh, but I mean, this team, if they miss
3: the playoff, you know, you go back to mid-October and they split with Providence. Providence is
2: one of the teams that's going to get in above them, right? Yep. They split with UMass. UMass, UMass is, is probably going to be in the tournament. Yeah. So, like... Well, they're they're 13, so they're right on the edge. Providence is actually 12. So both those teams are, I mean, probably in, but I wouldn't count your chickens yet.
3: Exactly. But, like, those are two teams we could we could be at 12 right now. Yes. <laughs>
1: And or eleven they, or ten, and they've a, had that that whole thing where they hit a third period and they just go to go to crap. And I don't know what to do with that. I, I, it kind of feels like just a coincidence. I, like it doesn't feel like like that should be a thing that happens. I think it feels like it shouldn't be a thing that happens, but it is a thing that happens. I know, but like what, like what are we going to make this causal or not? Like, is there something wrong
2: with the Michigan program that means that they're? negative three in a third period it does feel like there is a bit of a mental block at some point and, and 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 players have even said that to an extent we need to be better in the third and we're not and every year you or every week you see a big breakdown where they give up a bad goal or you give up a really sort of backbreaking instance and it seems like it happens almost week in and week out and when that continues to happen i don't think it's luck
3: let me let me wrap up my take here because i related to this you know, our team to nhl teams one of the reasons that they care so much about a second team center our second line center so much is that you can wear yourself out even getting the same amount of minutes a hero line gets out there and they feel like they have to score and you do that for two periods and you come back the third period with no legs and if you i if you want to we just have Look to see time spots. on ice.
2: We'd have to. I don't have access. Time to Time on ice. ice is
3: not the only story, though. This is something I have had hockey coaches talk but, to me about when I worked for Michigan Hockey Magazine. Time on ice is not necessarily a good stat because it's how much you're pushing when you're out there. And if you have a hero, when you have a team, it's not the first team to have a hero line and then a lot of guys. And when you have a team like that, the hero line pushes and they're dead legged
2: by the third period. But they did that last year. That's what they had last year. They, they had, had Fantilli last Fantilly. year. Fantilli, right? But
3: but Fantilli was like, you know, but, but they it,
2: split them up mid-year.
3: They did, yeah. And well, they had no, Dazar, they proved Brindley up in. to
2: the top line with McGrory and 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 Fantilli, and then the second line was Duke and Samuskевич, and
1: right, they split up Fantilli and Samoskevich. right.
2: So they had a hero line, and then they split it up. So you think that. Sammo was better than Brindley and McCrardy yes. last year. He was mm-hmm. like, he drove play. He was great mm-hmm. anyway.
1: Okay. <clears throat> so I, I mean, I, I would have, that would have been my prescription as well. Cause you are just not really getting a whole lot of, like when teams are dropping back and not letting you develop off the rush. Second, third lines really aren't doing anything in the offensive zone. You can see the danger that the first line causes, but there's no one driving play on any of the other lines.
3: Hey, who do you drop? If you want to break up the hero line, what do you do?
1: Uh, you
2: drop Nazar to the second line so and fuse up. They did that a little bit last night. They also played Schiffsky with Brindley and McGroerty a little bit. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see some of that next weekend or at least try it. Or at least yeah. in practice.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's – I mean, I think you kind of have a, a book on Michigan at this point because that's what Michigan State did. Yeah. Because you just play a tight defensive hockey game and there's really only one group of guys who can hurt you. Yeah. All right, hopefully Michigan can move back towards the tournament next weekend. Thank you for listening to the MGO podcast.
3: Thank you for listening to the MGO Podcast. I'm Seth Fisher along with Brian Cook and David Nasenick. And tune in next week when we don't talk about basketball again.
7: It better than us. All right. Are we ready? Are die. we ready
1: to do a podcast? We're there doing it is. A podcast. This we're is not. This is not, podcast. this is not the podcast.
2: We've already started,
1: started recording. <laughs> I would like to start now. Is that okay? Go ahead. All
0: right. Your show. All right. I gotta cool down now. Okay. I'm cooling down. <laughs> okay. All right.